Welcome to Federal Insights Repurposing Manpower Through Automation, sponsored by Ironbow Technologies in partnership with Dell Technologies on Federal News Network. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Jim Smid, the Chief Technology Officer for Ironbow Technologies. I'm Tom Temin. And Jim, let's begin at the beginning here when people talk about artificial intelligence, AI, machine learning, ML robotic process automation, RPA, they tend to talk about them like three undifferentiated blueberries in a bowl, but really they're rather different and distinct in the way they're used and the way they're applied. So maybe sort those out for us. Sure, yeah, it, it's, I guess the new cloud, right? There's a lot of terminology thrown around that uh, people wanna use it synonymously and it's not, it's really not. They're related terms and we can go into a little bit uh, on each of them. So artificial intelligence, in a nutshell is when you're trying to have a computer replicate the actions or decisions being made by a person. And uh, you know, great example of that might be a self-driving car. That's a pretty self-evident. Uh, you're gonna replace a person in a car. There's a lot of things that go into that. Uh, machine learning is a type of artificial intelligence. They get talked about as if they're exactly the same, but machine learning is actually a subset of artificial intelligence. It's usually when you're using uh, a lot of data to do a very narrow uh, type of a decision to do something very specific. So a great example as it relates to the self-driving car is using machine learning to automatically brake the car. And you know the brakes get applied for a variety of reasons. And the car is certainly going to behave differently over time as it ages, as the conditions are different. Machine learning allows your car to be the sensor and to send that information back to the mothership for processing with all the other sensors and cars that are out there, as well as making decisions and doing things real time. So that gets combined with a lot of other type of artificial intelligence to do that self-driving. Um, you talked about robotic process automation and that's evolving, which I think is what some of the confusion is at this point. Uh, really robotic process automation, it's been around for a while and it's, it's really automating very mundane tasks. There's usually not a lot of intelligence in uh, exactly what it's doing. So you think about a, a good example of that might be just data entry. I get data from, could be anywhere from an email, from uh, uh, you know, different tasks that come through every day and a person has to go and just take those and put those into another system. That can be automated. That's going to certainly simplify things. It's also going to make it uh, very repeatable and it's gonna give you accuracy. So there's great places to do RPA. I think where the confusion comes in is that it is automation and they're starting to talk and use the term now intelligent automation. And what they mean is that there's trying to marry kind of AI with what's happening within RPA. They're trying to make it more intelligent. There's a couple different ways you can do that with RPA. For example, you can make the tools themselves smarter. They're starting to have some machine learning, some, uh, some recognition. Uh, a lot of times I would use RPA if I'm going to, let's say, drive a website. I basically am recording the actions that I'm doing and the RPA tool is watching what I do and it can then replicate that. It runs my pointer. It looks just like someone's taken over my computer and it does that. When you end up with a web page that has, uh, it's a more complex web page, sometimes the tools, they don't understand where things should go. So something that's very obvious to me, like maybe a calendar and I have to put project codes or something like that against uh, that and put my time in, 
that might be very complicated for an RPA tool to understand what that is. By embedding better tools and putting AI into uh, the tool itself, it gets better at recognizing things that you or I might intuitively understand about what we're seeing. The second way they're starting to make more intelligent automation with our RPA is to give you more and more tools to make decisions and to embed more decision making process into the automation. So making it more complex rather than just doing data entry, more of the if then uh, type of, uh, of, a, of a thought process. When would I do this? Why would I do this? And as we're going to talk about, I think with AI in general and automation, it's usually start small and kind of build. It's a it's an it's an iterative process to make it better as you go along. And it's safe to say then, based on what you said about bringing intelligence into RPA, that it's much more than simply scripting, as we've been understanding a lot of automated processes for some time. It is, and and it can be. It can start as scripting, and then uh, you know certainly evolve from that. So it kind of gets all different flavors in there. You can do things that are very simple and automate them, and get some real value out of that. But uh, I think that that value continues to build the more intelligence you put into it, and and the the smarter the tools become. And as often is the case with these new and emerging technologies and applications, people tend to start with the tools and say you know, what should I do with them? Because I feel like I need to have these because everybody's talking about it. Your thesis is, I guess, best described as figure out what it is your problem is. And so what's a good methodology for someone that has the sense these could be useful to my agency and to my process, but I don't know how to proceed from there. Sure. I, I mean, like most IT projects that we talk to people about, you know, it's not about the tools themselves. I, I, I can do... I can start with a tool and, and not every, uh, you know, not everything is a nail. So I don't always need a hammer. It's important to, as you said, really look at the business owner or the mission owner. You know, we have a lot of customers that are anywhere from the Department of Defense down to logistics agencies. We have commercial agencies, we have healthcare. So I'll try to get into a little bit about that with each of them, but it's always about talking to the boots on the street, right? It's the people who are living the problem who understand what's going in day to day. The IT manager, the CIO, they don't understand what, uh, what really those problems are. And so they don't really understand what the outcomes need to be. Uh, it's not important to pick the tool until you understand where's the data that's coming from, what kind of outcomes are you looking to get what kind of problems are you trying to solve? And um, you can always back into that later with different tools that can be applied. And there's a variety of different, different tools that can be brought to bear with these. And I guess you want to avoid the situation of starting too limited. Say you use an RPA tool, for example, but it could be that with some more intelligence, you could do a lot more with the problem at hand if you had a more capable tool that has that learning and adaptability component that you might not find in a basic RPA. Yeah, that's a great point. And really where we see RPA a lot of places is that it's used for kind of a proof of value and they end up replacing some of what they do with RPA later. Um, you know, think about what I talked about that you're, you're tying up my computer to run RPA many times. So it's actually gonna run the website and those tools, they, they use you to tie up my computer resources. I could potentially, if I found there was a lot of value in that, I could attack that in different ways. I could write RPA um, scripts that didn't tie up my computer, or I could write things directly to APIs, or I could write triggers and databases. There's a number of variety of ways that you can embed uh, automation 
uh, and you don't want to pick the tool up front. You know, RPA might be a good thing for prototyping things. It also might be a good thing long term. You don't really know until you understand a little bit more about the data and the process and what's all going to be involved. And what's a good organizational approach to getting these types of projects started in terms of who should be involved, who should ask what questions, and also the issue of people suspicious of this type of technology thinking, well, there goes my job. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that uh, you've hit on a couple of different areas there. The, the first piece is really just making sure you're talking to the right folks. Um, you know, for a good example, we do a lot with uh, with the healthcare. We do a lot with the VA, and you know, we're not talking to the IT folks. We're talking to the clinicians about what, what's the day in the life look like for you. And as I talked about these things kind of evolving, uh, that really started from a simple problem that. We needed patients to be able to remotely be able to see their doctor and be able to see specialists and just provide better health care to them. So that really tied into a lot of technologies and convergence of technologies that we specialize in. And one of those is certainly around collaboration and video and making sure you can bring that experience like what we're doing today and everyone's become more familiar with with COVID. How do you bring that into a clinical uh, piece and what what peripherals are required for that. So, you know, starting with a handful of peripherals that you could do a routine doctor uh, visit with, with a specialist or someone that lives out of state or if you're in a rural area. Um, that's a, a good example where that problem then, as you solve problems, you see that that complexity starts to build on itself and you get better and better outcomes because think about healthcare and what's happening with IoT and what's happening again in this convergence of, of technologies, 5G, for example. 5G means we're gonna have lower latency, we're gonna have more bandwidth to go out to rural areas. IoT means we're gonna have better and better, better wearables. Many of these are health related. So I'm gonna begin to start getting additional data from my patients. Uh, what that all means is it, it all ties back into what we're talking about, automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Uh, it's really about being able to make sure that you're making intelligent decisions based on all of the information at your disposal. And as more information gets here and we can get it done faster, really the, the, the possibilities are endless of things that can be done with it. Um, you know, you brought up something, I'll just relate it again, I guess, to healthcare, because I think that's a simple one people can understand, because your question is about who needs to be involved. And it's the specialists in that area. You know, if you bring in a data scientist, they're not necessarily going to understand healthcare. Uh, so you think about machine learning as an example, again, as that subset of AI, uh, you know, you think about a dermatologist and just the, you know, the, the number one diagnosed cancer in the country is skin cancer. Well, there's a lot of work that's been done with machine learning. The more data you give the computer to recognize a high definition picture of problem areas on the skin, you've now gotten to where these programs are able to perform at or above the level of the clinicians themselves. That's where you start building that trust in, right? That it's always this process of understanding what you're getting, seeing what the results are. You're going to build that trust over time. That doesn't just happen. You know, you or I probably would not be comfortable just taking a picture on our computer and, and right now saying, well, I'm, I'm good to go. I don't need to go and see my dermatologist ever again. Um, that's just not going to happen yet, but we're getting there. And that trust is being built and it's being built because you're including the doctors, you're including the dermatologists, you're including the people that are specialists. And once they buy in, 
we buy in and and you know those things just become i think healthcare is just so rife for places sure. that we can do a lot and just a quick question on that team idea it might even be wise to go deeper to the people that do the scheduling because what va found was that in setting up video interviews one of the toughest problems was getting two different automated systems for appointments to operate well so that it wasn't all this complication for the veteran trying to seek service so you want to leave cast a wide net with respect to the people you bring sure. into the planning. You're absolutely right. I mean, logistics is an area that uh, AI can be really powerful in and just data analytics in general. Um, and you hit the, it right in the head. I mean, when you start talking about what we do in our telehealth uh, side of the business, I've got to make sure that the doctor's available, that I've got very expensive equipment that's available, that the resources are all there. That whole scheduling part is really, really critical. And what we found was that the customer was coming back to us and saying, how do we make sure we're getting the most out of our investment? Um, if I could get do 12 of these a day and I'm only doing three, how do I do that? And it's exactly with what we're talking about. It's making sure we're collecting the data that's already available to us. We're correlating it. We're putting it in to a way that it's easily understood and we can get the, the signal of that. The signal being, I could, I could schedule this every 45 minutes. I don't have to wait every two hours to make sure nothing happens. Average time is 15 minutes, longest time is 30 minutes. I can get this turned back around. So scheduling logistics, it's certainly uh, critical and, and not just in the healthcare field, but you know, across all of our customers, it's some of the more mundane things that really have a profound impact on the overall mission. My guest today is Jim Smid. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Iron Bow Technologies. I'm Tom Temin. This is Federal Insights, repurposing manpower through automation, sponsored by Iron Bow Technologies in partnership with Dell Technologies here on Federal News Network. Our new way of working with a cloud-first approach has unleashed the need for new technologies that can speed up processes, automate manual workflows, and share data across organizations. How can you empower your team with data, drive efficiencies, and increase performance? Ironbow Technologies, along with Dell, will help you discover how AI technologies support agency mission success. Discover more at learn.ironbow.com AI. That's learn.ironbow.com AI. Welcome back to Federal Insights, repurposing manpower through automation, sponsored by Ironbow Technologies in partnership with Dell Technologies here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Jim Smid. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Ironbow Technologies. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before the break, we were talking about a VA case history where you brought in automation to help them with their video visits in the pandemic. You also mentioned some applications in the Defense Department and maybe give us a rundown on some of the projects there that are illustrative of how you can apply AI, ML, and RPA. Sure, absolutely. So uh, thanks, Tom. It's uh, a lot of times I think when people talk about the DOD and artificial intelligence, it's very easy to imagine, you know, the Terminator, the, the, the robot doing fighting battles and doing wars. But, you know, that's really not uh, what we're talking about in, in today's day and age and most of the low hanging fruit that we're talking about. You know, in many ways, the DOD is no different than uh, a lot of different businesses and missions and things we do. It's uh, I've worked been in the federal side for a pretty long time. I used to work with a colonel, an army colonel, and he said that the most difficult part of really uh, any deployment uh, was getting everybody and everything in the same place at the same time and to make sure everything continued to work and function 
properly. And, and so you think about that, that's no different than, you know, a lot of other companies and things we do. And if you can make that more efficient, then you can make everything about the DOD uh, work better and be more efficient and, and, you know, free up manpower to do more important jobs and, and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, you think about there's a ton of applicability, whether that's supply chain management, whether it's, um, you know, areas where you're just trying to do predictive maintenance. Uh, maintenance has, has been at the forefront of where a lot of industry has gone with, um, with analytics. Uh, I think back uh, many years to when I was running operations and, you know, the first time that I had somebody show up at my data center with a, a disk drive and say, I'm here to replace your disk drive. And I said, I didn't know that it failed. And they said, it's going to, and um, they're going to replace it before that happened. Right. That was, that was game changing. And to be able to do that with your helicopters, your tanks, your Jeeps, anything that you need to do that to, that's all that predictive maintenance is a, a critical piece. And it's, I think where a lot of the resources are going to get applied now because there's such a, a big impact for it. Certainly there are other applications. Um, you know, you think about, you know, drone activity, you think about drones being able to patrol a particular area uh, and to look for anomalies. I mean, really when you're doing machine learning, uh, you're usually, you're looking for anomalies. You're, you're learning over time what things look like, what terrain looks like, what's expected movement, what's expected to be in the area. Uh, so that's a great example where um, you, know, you certainly will see, I think some of that more as it's applicable to defense, uh, you'll see artificial intelligence, machine learning uh, and RPA, all of those, again, that's your arsenal of tools, depending on what kind of problems you're trying to solve. I think I remember once recently it came up that in satellite imagery, one of the grand challenges is getting a imaging system to recognize a circle on the ground. Sounds sure. easy, but to do it in a machine setting is quite a problem. So that's that's the kind of thing I think you mean. Right, absolutely. I mean, just getting a computer to recognize, you know, circles or letters or, or symbols, uh, you know, then you start getting into facial recognition or anything like that. You know, there's a lot of processing and raw data that goes into that. So it, it's, um, it's, very, uh, it's very complex. And how do some of these emerging technologies, we hear about 5G a lot, and I guess 5G is coming on right now. It's mostly in a kind of a mundane usage because it's not all that fast yet, but it's going to get there. And that ties in with the internet of things and the sensor. What do you see as the futures there in, with respect to AI and ML? Yeah, it's really, you know, what does the realm of the possible look like? And 5G is, a, you know, it, it is a game changer that uh, as that gets rolled out and the speeds get better, um, you know, there's some issues with uh, with 5G in terms of how close the the towers need to be together. You know, you're not going to see the speeds and everything at the snap of a finger, but that's coming. We know what it's capable of doing and whether that's, um, you know, getting fast bandwidth out to remote rural areas. So for our telehealth business, that will be really critical for us. It means we can do different kinds of care for uh, a rural uh, person. You know, you might even see things in the future where you could do remote surgeries or things like that. If you have low latency and you have the kind of dependable network access and things that some of that promises to bring in the future. So there's a lot of uh, that realm of the possible where everybody's kind of salivating on what can we do with all of this. And it is absolutely this convergence of technologies. It's not just one, it's not just 5G. It's also how fast the IoT devices are getting, how capable those devices are getting, how much data you can have. It's this uh, reinvestment in the edge 
Uh, it's funny, I was on, uh, I was, Dell World is happening today as well, and I spent some time on Dell World's things earlier this morning, and, you know, you heard a lot of that talk about the shift from uh, where processing's done, and, and I think it was 2025, they're looking at 70, 75% of all processing will happen out at the edge. Well, that's a, a huge shift from where it happens today. So those investments and those changes and that convergence of technology, 5G will make it faster, you know, all the different, uh, you know, compute and, and uh, peripherals and things that are becoming available. Uh, it's a really exciting time to be able to uh, look at what you can do, not only with our traditional IT infrastructure, but what you can do with analytics and automation to, to make everything work better. It may be that the AI itself will be applied to the different channels of transmission through the communication system, the most optimal way to, to take over, you know, from the 5G itself, you would have AI Pick your best pathway, for example. I, I, that's a great point. And, and it's something that I usually end up talking with people about when we talk about AI, because you can talk about, you know, let's buy AI and there's software and things that are capable of doing the analytics and you can apply. But a lot of times when we're buying AI or we're thinking about AI, it's being embedded in other things. It's about having, this is certainly important for the DOD, they want a smart network. And a smart network again, it's a convergence of technologies. You can't have a smart network if you don't have a software-defined network, if you don't have the agility built in to man manually do things. Well, then I can start doing some automation and I can make that happen, you know, over just at a push of button. Well, now I get some artificial intelligence built in and I actually understand what's happening at an application layer or what my predictive trending looks like for where bandwidth is needed all of those things working in conjunction with each other means you can build intelligent networks that are capable of doing much more and way more efficiently. Uh, you know, you don't have to over-provision. Uh, you can always on the fly re-provision, re reallocate assets where it makes sense and prioritize workloads um, so that it's being spent in the right places. And the other element besides having a good use case that you can turn into a real requirement for an AI or ML project, of course, is the data. And that's where maybe the chief data officer or the data officer for your unit or group or bureau can come into the picture at this point and discuss some of the data issues because data is expensive to move around. It can be. And you don't want to oversaturate your project with data because there's a point of diminishing returns, but rising costs. And yet you want to make sure that your algorithms are trained properly. So what are some of the approaches to, to handling data there? Sure. Some of it I alluded to already. And you're right. Having a data officer is, is you know, that you got a central point where you can work on these data issues that are just prevalent throughout your entire ecosystem. Uh, I, I alluded to some of it earlier. Some of it's going to be at the edge. That reason for pushing compute out to the edge is because as you said, moving data can be expensive. Well, I don't want to move all the data all the time. I want to move the data that's important. Or maybe I just want to, I just want to move what is my outcomes to a centralized location, right? I don't need everything there. So um, managing that data and making sure you're crunching it in the right places and you're moving relevant data around is really important. This whole idea of you know data lakes and things like that, that um, you know, those are not necessarily new ideas, but they're certainly taking new life on. And it's because of how much data is becoming available. And how do you get all of it 
together and how do you get it to correlate? You know, one of the problems with big data in, in general has always been normalizing that data. How do I get data from varied sources all in one place and kind of looking the same and so I can manage it and do things with it. So that data officer is a critical piece that just, they're kind of this overseer of what's going to happen, what are good ideas for where the investments are going and how you're gonna handle data movement, where things get processed, what gets translated back and forth and who needs that data. And a question I've had too is uh, based on hearing tales of people that finally acquire a data set that they use to train their algorithms and they might use it over and over. Sure. When is that the right approach or when do you need to update your data set for training based on changing conditions, new requirements, because you can't use, you don't want to use a 10 year old data set necessarily for a brand new project or a brand new algorithm. Yeah, I, I think that, um, I think that data sets maybe do age that, that there's, there's things you can learn from an old data set, but I, I think the challenge is in always recognizing these new problems. And if you continue to use the same data set, you're going to solve the same problems over and over again. And it's important to be challenging, uh, even from a training perspective, challenge yourself on, let's figure out a way to solve a different problem. There's pieces of it that are certainly applicable across the data sets, but there's pieces of it that you have to have some ingenuity. And I, I think that, that you only get that when you're, you're starting to look at it from different things you're trying to solve. Many times, very different problems you're trying to solve and solutions. Yeah, nothing's set and forget, I guess, in the IT yeah. world. And in the time we have remaining, maybe just review what are the best practices for getting started and for project success in this whole new area of AI, ML, and RPA. Sure. Uh, you know, I'd hit with the low-hanging fruit. Um, I would start relatively simple. Again, a lot of the mundane things are the things that, uh, that you can get a lot of bang for your buck out of. And the way this naturally works is that they can be built upon. They can become part of a bigger puzzle in the future where you don't have to solve everything at once. Uh, and then, you know, rely on experts, um, people that have been there and done it before. It, it's, it's such a varied field and there's so many different components and complexities that come into it. So working with, you know, somebody like Ironbow, uh, Dell, Intel, working with uh, the community that is trying to support how do we get these missions done? How do we drive these outcomes? That's really, I think, uh, what, what's critical in, in, in moving forward. And probably also not being unwilling to ask colleagues in different domains, because regardless of whether you're in whatever domain the government does, and that's pretty much everything, everybody has similar processes and business practices that underlie it all. So you might be able to get something from DOD that applies in NIH or NIH and VA or whatever the case might be? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's, uh, that's a great uh, thing to keep in mind. And certainly, you know, for the DOD who has some very unique problems, they have a lot of problems that are being solved in other industries as well. And so while everybody has some unique data sets and some unique problems, you're right. There's, there's some things that are constant across all. And there's just some unique approaches that maybe it's not the same problem, but you can learn a lot from the approach that people have taken and the ingenuity that has gone into um, solving some of these problems and how they're using the data and, or, or just how they're combining the data or you know, just, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, so almost a marketplace could develop perhaps sure. for solutions. Absolutely, that... yeah. And, and I think you see you know, some of the industry and, and you know, we try to do uh, you know, lunch and learns where it's more collaborative, right? It is about um, 
trying to trying to make sure we're not all reinventing the wheel, I guess. All right. I want to thank today's guest, Jim Smith, as the Chief Technology Officer for Iron Bow Technologies. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Iron Bow. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights, repurposing manpower through automation, sponsored by Ironbow Technologies in partnership with Dell Technologies on Federal News Network.